Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. All of us over a certain age remember the troubles. The worst year of slaughter since the present emergency first spewed violence across the province five years ago. The 30-year conflict brought about the deaths of three and a half thousand people. The death toll in Northern Ireland reached more than three times the total for the three preceding years. But we all remember it differently. We tell different stories about it. And we have very different ideas on how to deal with the legacy of all of those deaths. Look, I'm a a veteran of the Troubles here myself, so I understand the sense of loss. But it is also important that we stop what's become a merry-go-round of legacy uh, inquests and and constant reopening and retrials. I think it's really important uh, to draw a line under it. I really think it's ludicrous. There's nowhere else in the world that would try to make a law that murderers and serial killers do not have to face justice. Brian Rowan is a well-known journalist and author. He's an award-winning former BBC correspondent and has written several books on the peace process. And I'm pleased to say he joins me now to discuss the thorny issue of legacy. Brian, you're very welcome to The Bell Town. It's a great honour to have you here. Brian, I'm sure people... I'm sure you're absolutely (laughs) sick of this question and maybe talking about it. But you've seen a lot of the troubles and in your career. I think most people listening to this podcast now don't have any recollection. Can we bring across in any way of what it was like? Well, I suppose, um, I mean, the frightening thing is that all of that abnormality became a normal way of life. Uh, We got used to the troubles. The longer conflicts go on, the longer wars go on, you get used to them. So it was almost like, well, living in it, my my lived experience of the Troubles was, uh, you know, as a young teenager living in East Belfast, us being intimidated out of our home, uh, living in a a house where the windows were grilled, you know, because the house had been attacked that number, that that, that many times, being at mass uh, on one occasion when the the church was attacked, uh, remembering the priest going off the altar and opening the door and just thinking, why is he opening why is he opening the door? You know, that that kind of fear lives with you. Um, our experience in, in East Belfast was, was, was the experience of many people at that time. We were in the wrong place at the wrong time. Kicked with the wrong foot, Kieran, I, I suppose, is, 
is how some people would describe it. Uh, and and I couldn't work any of that out at that stage. You, you know, I was too young, too young to properly understand all of that. But then as I, I get into my working life and uh, my career uh, and build uh, those working relationships with all sorts of organizations, the IRA, the many loyalist groups, the police, the army, those at a political level, those who had the pulse of their of their communities. Then you begin to understand it a bit more. But as you said in your introduction, we all have different memories of it. We all have a different take on it. And when we talk today about truth, you know, there are many different truths. Uh, and there will be no, no agreed narrative uh, in terms of what we've been through uh, and what we're trying still uh, to escape. Now, when we were discussing about this podcast and, you know, I was hoping to get you on, we were talking about that, you know, your great interest in legacy. Mm. And I mean, obviously, we're, that's now bogged down in politics and mm. remembering properly mm. is, 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 is an ex- expression you used. Mm-hmm. What, what, did you, what did you mean by remembering properly? Well, uh, you, you know, people paint things on walls, you, you know, and we're a place of slogans. Uh, and I, I think, you know, 25 years beyond Good Friday, there is still a part of us out there that still wants to rerun the conflict period on another stage, still wants to win, win something that can't be won, Kieran. You know, that there, there, were, there were no winners in the conflict period, but, but win it in the sense of I was right and you were wrong. And uh, do, do you mean... Do you mean, sorry to butt in there, I very rarely butt in this podcast, mm-hmm. but I, but I, do you mean when we want to win, is that, is that to secure the union or United Ireland or are we actually battling over the story and the past? I, I think win the narrative, win the story, uh, win the argument about who was right and who was wrong. Uh, and I think we're very good in this place uh, talking about what happened and we're absolutely pathetic at talking about why it happened, causation. Why? And, and those are the more difficult uh, questions. So we all remember the big headlines. We can remember the Inniskillen bomb and Oma and the Shankill and Grey Steel and Loch Gall and, and Loch Island and Le Mans. People rhyme those off. And we forget so much. We forget the people who died on their own, the many hundreds, thousands of people who, who either died on their own or who were, who were injured on their own. And when I talk about uh, remembering, proper remembering. I, I think we need to remember all of that, Kieran. We need to find some place where, where people can tell their stories uh, and have some sense of not being forgotten, uh, but about being remembered. But I think when you leave the past with politics, it becomes that sword fence. Uh, and every time we have a political problem, every time Stormont's in trouble, the past becomes this political glass house in which we throw bricks uh, and in which we try to win. It occurs to me, coming off what you're saying, is that you know a political movement could win the narrative, the battle for the narrative in the past, but lose the future. Mm. You know, so if you spend all your time trying to legitimise what you did in the past, mm. you might actually not get what it was all about in the first place. Yeah. Well, well, we talk about truth, Kieran. And, and there isn't going to be truth. There isn't going to be the absolute truth from, from any side, never mind all of the sides. And there are ugly truths that, that are so deeply buried uh, and that will never be excavated and never brought to the surface. 
so I, I think I used a term a few years ago that it was time to stop lying about the truth. And what I meant by that was it was time to be more honest about what truth might be, about what we can tell people uh, about the past, about what we will talk about, but I think more importantly about what won't be talked about. Uh, and I, I am still absolutely of the view that we can't do this. We, we, we can't do it on our own. Uh, we're all emotionally attached, emotionally attached to the conflict period. We're all stitched into the fabric of this place. And we need, in my, in my opinion, a team from outside of us, people from outside of us, an international team, to, I think, write the report of, of 50 years of conflict and peace, to find out from all of the sides what information will be shared with families and with people, uh, what questions will be answered, what questions won't be answered. Uh, and I will begin to believe that we are serious about the past when that international team arrives. Up until then, I think we're playing with the past. We're avoiding it rather than addressing it. Even then, but it would be very difficult. And it occurs to me, and I've talked about it in this podcast. Mm. I mean, when you when you talk, when you even when you look at the security forces and groups like the mm. Force Reconnaissance Unit mm. and other military units, who seem to be trying to spark a sectarian war, there are there are <clears throat> manipulation of, of of Republicans by agents of influence and by informers. That all seems so dark, even from a security point of mm. view that it's very, very difficult to imagine that that information would ever be forthcoming. And if we look at the IRA, for example, mm. as their older members simply die off, mm. I, 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 do they have an archive of information? I, mm. I somehow doubt it. Mm. Well, uh, you, you mentioned the intelligence services and elements of the intelligence services and, and what they won't uh, talk about. And... You know, it is the it is the ugliest and it is the dirtiest part of of conflict. You know, look at the at the steak knife story, the Scapatici story, uh, that whole business of of agents being interrogated. Uh, you know, I found uh, a couple of bodies on the on the border in in 1992. I was with Kiriri, uh, a number of journalists, a number of of cameramen. The IRA had killed three of their own people. We came across two of those bodies lying there, uh, one underneath a, a kind of black plastic sheet with a milk crate sitting on top of it, the, the other lying almost naked in the, the middle verge on, on the road. And, you know, the next day the IRA took him and Mally and myself away, my journalist colleague him and Mally and myself away, our eyes taped, wearing goggles, brought us to a house where, Two men were in balaclavas. One of them read a long statement to us. Uh, it was on a long sheet of toilet paper uh, for that reason that if the house was raided, um, it would be quickly flushed. And uh, But uh, it took, took forever to, to, to write it down. And, you know, I, I think often now about those scenarios where uh, people have been found out, if you like. They're in this interrogation. They're with the IRA. Their words are recorded. Uh, they, they write their last words to, to their families. And the army had an agent in the middle of all of that, uh, not tied to a chair, not with a hood over his head, not recording his last words, 
not writing his last words, but running the whole show. One agent interrogating other agents and presenting them for execution in IRA terms. Now, when I think about that now, I think about just how sick all of that was. And will the truth of that or that intelligence uh, war emerge in every dotted I and crossed heat? Absolutely no, it will not. But will the IRA talk about the human bombs? Will the loyalists talk about the Shankle butchers? Uh, those truths, those ugly truths, those, those who made those decisions? No, they won't. So truth, whatever that might be, Kieran, is going to be some edited, redacted, controlled and, and managed version of events. The idea that it all is going to be shoveled to the surface, uh, in, in my opinion, is just nonsense. But you still think it's worth it. You still think it's necessary to mm. get whatever truth we can, whatever yeah. whatever the stories that we can have told. You, mm. you do think it's... Because some people said to me sometimes, ah, you're dragging up the troubles. Uh, or draw a line. You know, mm. well, there is no line that will be drawn, you know, and or, or that can be drawn. So so I, I believe we need an amnesty, Kieran. Uh, I don't think that you can have a, a peace process that releases prisoners and then have a past process that potentially creates prisoners. I don't think that's the way to address the past. But when I talk about an international team, I think we need someone in here who is going to talk to all of the sides. Uh, you know, we often talk about the two sides. There were many more sides to the conflict than, than two sides. Talk to all of the sides, uh, whether it's the IRA, the loyalist organizations, those who are involved in in that intelligence world, special branch, MI5, uh, military intelligence. Uh, talk to the churches, talk to the media, talk to uh, all of those uh, who have a, a memory of the conflict period. Find out uh, what is achievable, uh, what, what will be committed to uh, some truth process and what will be held back. I, I think that international team writes the report of the conflict period. Uh, and, and I think they also make their reports to the various families who are looking for information. But alongside that kind of reporting that they would do, the report that they would write and the reports that they would send to, to families, I think we need to think about all of the practical help that can be given to people who lived through the conflict period. I, I think we need uh, a place of remembering. And I think we need to take all of that, Kieran outside of politics. I think about what Colin Davidson was able to do with his silent testimony exhibition. 18 portraits. Over 100,000 people visited it at the Ulster Museum. It became a sacred space. Uh, my colleague Eamon Malley likened it to something uh, of the Stations of the Cross, where people just went and they looked. They looked into the eyes of those portraits and then they they sat and they they reflected and and they thought. And, and those 18 portraits could represent 1,800 people. They could represent 18,000 people. So I, I think that place of remembering has to be imagined uh, from outside of politics. Uh, you know, if you leave it to politics, Kieran, how can you put that name beside that name? How can you put oh, that, that portrait it, beside that portrait? So I think the, the biggest challenge... The biggest challenge of the past is, is, is getting politics to let go. But I also think 
that, that, that the ultimate challenge in all of this is for the conflict generation to let go. And I think for it to let go, we have to have something and we have to have the best effort at trying to put that past to rest. Again, some people might uh, interpret letting go mm. as as letting go of their fight for justice, mm. uh, of letting go of perhaps memories or mm. a commitment that they have made to mm. people. Because I do know people who have said to me, who, 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 whose parents, I suppose, have asked them to carry on mm. something, you know, a, a, a worthy cause perhaps. Mm. And you can see that that's a burden. Mm. Maybe that, that, you know, but... So, so, so what is justice, Kieran? Is justice that we send 10 more people to jail uh, for something that happened in the conflict period and that we allow many others in leadership positions who knew what was going on to exit the stage without any accountability or any responsibility. So... When we talk about jail, it's it's quite often the people who were at the lowest ranks who go to jail. You know, people who took the orders rather than people who gave the orders. So is 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 that what we think dealing with the past should be? So my view is that we need that amnesty to, if you like, remove many excuses. Uh, why would we come forward with information if we're going to end up in jail. So so it removes, jail removes the excuse, if you like, for not talking. And then we'll find out who's serious about this process on the past and who's who's not serious. Who's going to come to this table of explanation, Kieran? That's, that's the question because what we spent 15 years doing is in a consultation and negotiation and in agreements and broken agreements about about a structure. You know, so we'll have a commission for this and a commission for that and a commission for the other. And we're building houses that that we don't know uh, whether they're going to be sold or not. We don't know who's going to step inside that process. So I think in many senses, we've got the cart in front of the horse. We need to have the real talking now, face-to-face with the IRA, with the loyalist organisations, with intelligence, with special branch, with the military, with people who were at government level and political level. And we need to find out who's coming to this table because we can talk for the next 15 years or 20 years about the past. And what we in the conflict generation are doing is shoveling our experience on top of the people who come behind us. We're burying them in the conflict period. Who establishes those conversations, do you think? who who can, Who's best placed to do that? So, so... In every big moment in what we call the peace process, we've needed international help. So whether it was George Mitchell uh, chairing the political talks in 1998, General de Chastelin when it came to the big question of arms, Chris Patton when it came to, to police reform, and yet on this question of the past, the most difficult question that faces us, faces us, our past and our future, we think we can do it ourselves. We're kidding ourselves. And that's what I mean about we're avoiding this rather than addressing it. So I think we need a creditable international figure appointed by the two governments and told to get on with this. So it can't be bringing someone in like they did with Richard Haas and Megan O'Sullivan and saying you need a report that will achieve five-party consensus. 
there's more chance of you and I going to the moon than, 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 than getting a five-party consensus on what we've been through and where we're going. So, so I think you, we, we've got to get it out of that political frame. We've got to give it to someone internationally. We've got to allow them to design the process and we need to find out exactly who's going to talk, who's going to be part of this and who's going to avoid it. Let's face it, we're not even agreed on the plantation of Ulster or the penal laws or home rule or World War One or, or anything really. There, there, there are many narratives, yeah. as you say. But, but I think the process, Kieran, is I've got to accept your truth and you've got to accept my truth. Only in terms of me accepting that that's what you believe and you accepting that that's what I believe. The idea that we're going to get this agreed script on the conflict years and on where we're going. Um, that, that's pie in the sky. Or is it even counterproductive? Because I, you do hear people trying to, trying to formulate that. Well, well is it counterproductive? Are, are, we, are, are we beating ourselves up uh, you, you know, over the past? Um, I, I think it is too easy uh, to say to people, let's just move on. You, you, you know, that, that that's not what we need. I think maybe had we tried to address all of this at an earlier stage, we might be further down the road. But but we ignored it. We ignored it in 1998. You, you know, I think there was almost this uh, thinking and this idea, we've got the ceasefires. We've got the political agreement. We've got power sharing. We've got peace. It's over. You know, it's over. And 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 it ignored, it ignored the damage, uh, the 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 destruction, uh, the emotional hell of of those years that went before, uh, and I think it was only when the voices in that victims community, if you like, uh, began to raise their voice, that people started to understand that, you know, we we, we haven't, we haven't dealt with it. We. We haven't addressed it. I, I remember a big moment in the, in the uh, political process, 1999, 1999 uh, Bertie Ahern and Tony Blair had arrived at, uh, at Hillsborough for yet another round of talks about how they were going to implement the Good Friday Agreement. Nelson Mandela was speaking to the political leaders on the phone. I think he spoke to Adams and Trimble and Seamus Mallon. And I got a call from the IRA. And I thought, uh, you know, I'm going to speak to them now and it'll be something about decommissioning. It'll be about, it'll be about arms. And uh, when I got to where I, would, where I was asked to show up, I sat in a car with uh, the IRA Peoneal of that period to explain Peoneal. The IRA uses that name as, as the recognised, the authorised spokesman for their leadership. So I dealt with five Peoneals from just after the Inniskillen bomb in 1987 through to 2005, 2006, end of the armed campaign. And, uh, and, and he, was listening, he was listening to a news bulletin. And I, and I, think, I think from memory, uh, there was something on it about an international commission, or a commission, not an international commission, a commission that would deal with the, uh, the so-called disappeared bodies that had been disappeared by the IRA, buried, never to be found again. And he then read me an IRA statement and an IRA briefing. And at that stage, they thought 
that they had identified nine of the graves of the disappeared. There, there was a line in the statement that uh, they had attempted to uh, locate the burial site of Robert Narak, the, the army captain, Robert Narak, and were unable to do so. But do you believe they did try to find him? Um, perhaps, perhaps that's an unfair question. You just can't say. Do, do I believe them? Um, what I would say is that most of those who they named in that statement have now been found. Robert Narak has not been found. And I suppose what I think most about all of that, Kieran, is why can he not be found? You know, so I, I don't know the story. It's before my time. I, I only know it as I read it, as you would only know it as you read it. So, so, so the, the, the statement, I, I think basically they understood at that stage that if they didn't try to address the question of the disappeared, then they were going to be followed by those ghosts forever. So uh, peace had taken them and politics had taken them on the new ground where they were now being asked new and different questions. And this was a first attempt to deal with the disappeared. And I, I suppose what that meeting and what that statement said to me was that this was some beginning to addressing the past. But within that statement, you're dealing with uh, that statement in particular, 10 cases, the nine graves that they said they were able to identify, Robert Narak, uh, who, who they hadn't been able to define. And then you multiply that by how many times you like and that's what we have to do in terms of the past. Answer that number of questions and all of the questions that become the next questions when you start to, uh, when you when you start to answer one. So, so I I, I think in in summary, ninety eight they thought they dealt with it, uh, with the political agreement. Within a few years of it, they realised that the past was this explosion, you know, that had blown up now to the surface. Uh, with all of its questions to to be asked and to be answered. It's almost like um, a sort of an, an infection, mm. if you like, in the peace process. Now, I just want to, before I move on, I mean, you discussed amnesty. Mm -hmm. The government's, what the, every time you mention the legacy bill, people always say the controversial legacy bill. It does contain basically an amnesty. Well, I, I think the problem with the, the UK legislation is that you've got one side from the conflict period deciding how we address the past. That's like asking Alex Ferguson to referee the Manchester Derby. You know, it's, uh, it doesn't work. I'm not saying that those who will be appointed to jobs will not try to make it work. I'm not, I'm not suggesting that for one minute. But when you start from a position of no trust, and people believing that this is the government protecting veterans and burying the dirty war, then you're not on good ground to start well, with. Well, of course they are. And, and, but you're not on good ground to start with. And that's why I say, Kieran, that this needs to come away from the governments, needs to come away from politics. They can't, they can't build the house that people will buy. You know, and, and that's why we need someone who is not office, but who has big standing. You know, that person will arrive here and if he says to you or to me or to 
Jerry Adams or to a chief constable or to one of the loyalist leaders or to a former prime minister or to previous generals, I want to see you in the morning. You turn up. You know, you don't say I'll have a look in my diary and see what it can do. You know, you turn up. And I think when I say I'll begin to believe it, when when that international person and that international team is here, that's when I think it becomes serious. When, when you have to step forward and and where you've got no place to hide. You know, you're being asked now to account for what has happened in the past. You know that there's not going to be jail for it. Uh, but you know also that if we do not get down some sort of full stop in terms of in terms of that past, then it's going to infect generations uh, for years to come. You mentioned uh, 1998, mm. and we we felt we'd achieved all of these things. Mm. We had an assembly, including you know, with ceasefires. Um, we had reform of, of the police, mm. we had Stormont Assembly and we had power sharing. Now mm. there's two of those things we don't have. Mm. Um, I just wonder, do you think you'll see Stormont back? Maybe this is an unfair question, I'm throwing in the politics now, but I, I would be very interested, I think people would be very interested to, to, to think like, you know, let's, what do you think? Uh, I don't care if it comes back. Wow. So uh, I've got to the point now, I, I wrote in political purgatory, so I'd, I'd spent those three years at Stormont kind of more or less listening to every news conference, getting my hands on documents that I was reading. Uh, Julian Smith arrived and Simon Coveney teamed up with them at the right time. Um, they were two people who understood the Good Friday Agreement, that this place works when the two governments work together. And they put together the new decade, new approach agreement and they bounced the parties. You, you, you know, so new decade, new approach. Stormont coming back in 2020 was a two governments initiative, not a five parties initiative. But I wrote in political purgatory that if it failed again, it should fail forever. Uh, and I also wrote that I, I think we as journalists, and I include myself in this, we became part of Stormont's problem. You know, we queued up to listen to those endless news conferences that said the same things and, and said nothing. And I think in many senses we gave a, a semblance of respectability to something that was very pathetic. So I haven't been back to Stormont since the COVID period. Uh, and, and I think, uh, you know, it's, it, it, it has shown too many times that it can't work. I think it has failed the peace. And I think it has failed the people. Uh, and I think uh, even if it did come back, Kieran, it would come back in some sticking plaster arrangement that would fall off it in in the not too distant future. So, so what do I think about Stormont? I, I think very little about it. Do you think dealing with legacy could form part of forming a more durable Stormont type thing? Uh, I think you can build nothing new on an unanswered past. Uh, because, as I said to you earlier, every time there's a problem within our politics, the past becomes the bricks we throw. So we need to find some way of addressing it as a first step to maybe trying to achieve a more stable political future. Brian Rowan, thank you very much. Thank you, Kieran.
When you get an Irish independent digital subscription, you don't just get access to the news at your fingertips. For a limited time, you'll also receive a 75 euro O'Neill's gift card. So what are you waiting for? Get the whole kit and caboodle. Visit independent.ie forward slash subscribe today. Irish independent. Terms and conditions apply.